We're in the middle of this series in James. Um, this is week five. So if you want to grab your Bibles and go uh, to James chapter three, which is on page 1148, um, there should be a hardback uh, blue Bible in the seat in front of you. And, uh, and you can just, we're going to stay there for the next bit of time. And uh, as soon as you lose interest in what I'm saying, you can just go back to there and it'll be, it'll be a lot better. But the whole point of what we've been looking at in this series called Be is being the word, being the word of, of, of God in, our, in the hands and feet of Jesus. And um, James is, uh, I don't know if you, if you know, if you recap what, from what we heard in the first um, sermon, but James is the half brother of, of Jesus, his younger brother. And, and one of the, you know, one of, they, they say one of the, the testaments of, of the of the um, validity of the gospel is, you know, if Jesus was able to convince his younger brother that he was God. I mean, for any of you that have got an older brother, um, and, uh, you know, for, for James to realize that, that Jesus was God, and that James now is one of the earliest New Testament writers. And the big question he's asking is, what, is, what does our faith look like? For those of us that are Christians that know and love God, what does our faith look like in the day-to-day um, in our day-to-day lives. And um, in the second week, Phil, um, I really recommend you go and look at the podcasts that are, that are up um, and the SBS Sunday Talks. And Phil mentioned the second week of the series that we're made in God's image. And that leads to us knowing that our identity is in God. And because we know that our identity is in God, that means that we're able to outwork our faith um, and we outwork our faith because we know that our identity is in God, that he saved us, that we have freedom and life in abundance. And, you know, those of us who are Christians are in this journey of what's called sanctification, which is God changing us from glory into glory. From the time, from the moment that we accept Jesus in our life all the way through to our death, God is working within us. He's changing us and we're being the word of God um, and we're being made into more of the likeness of Jesus bit by bit. And so today we're looking at James 3. If you've got there, James 3 on page 1148. And it's uh, Taming the Tongue. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers and sisters, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Those who are never at fault in what they say are perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by human beings, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings, who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water.
Should we pray just as we start the, uh, this, this passage? We'll speak to us. Father, God, we thank you for this, this time now on Sunday night that we share. Spirit, would you come and speak to us? Would we be different from the people that we came in as? God, would you have your way? Amen. One of the, uh, one of the most recognized estimates for how many words people speak in their lifetime came out in 1984 and it's still referenced now and it suggested that in a person's lifetime the average person speaks 860 million words 860 million words in their lifetime and that's the uh that's about about 1100 copies of uh of of the bible the the words in the bible 1100 copies and um you know, some of you might be, some of you might think of about 160 words and think that um, you might reach that goal a lot quicker than others. And this is absolutely not a moment to nudge the person you're with and say you've probably reached 860 million words already. But um, but here's the big idea: words words matter. Do you want to turn to your person next to you and say words matter? Words matter. And turn to the other person that you ignored the first time and say words matter as well. But here's the big idea. You have 860 million words that you speak in your, in your life. Every single time that you open your mouth, you have an opportunity to speak life or to death into, into someone. Words are powerful. 860 million words. And this passage here, Taming the Tongue, it's really, a vo- it's really evocative language that James is using. He's saying the tongue is, is so difficult to control. You know, throughout the Bible... Um, we can see that words have power. Right at the start of the Bible in Genesis, chapter 1, first page of the Bible, it says, and God said, let there be light. And in verse 6, it then says, and God said. In verse 9, and God said. The powerful God spoke creation into existence. He used words and creation and life came forth. And you know, as we said earlier, that we are made in God's image. You know, we have the power to speak life, to speak, to speak life over people. Our ability to converse and to speak with one another is a direct imagery of who God is. You know, it's by common grace that he gives us the power of words. So let's have a look at verse, verse 1 and 2. So this talks specifically about teachers. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers and sisters, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Those who are never at fault in what they say are perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. And you know, the, the thing is that it says um, not many of us are teachers. And, and sometimes I think the, the reality can be is for those who have be, become Christians and, and you, you started coming into church and, and, you, and you see these people, you know, who are, who are vicars or who are on big conference stages and you think, oh, you know, they're the really mature Christians. If I want to be a really mature Christian, that's, that's who I have to be. Um, and that's true. But we also, how many, there's so many of us that are involved in connect groups here in, um, in the church or involved in different ministries in the church. And the reality is that we all have a part to play in teaching sometimes. And not everyone is called to be a, um, a teacher. Um, you know, it does say here that teachers will be, will be judged more, more harshly. You know, people who, whose vocation, whose gifting and calling has been to teach the Bible will be judged more harshly. And why is that? Well, you know, when you're on a platform and you have a platform physically and metaphorically to speak over other people, 
you have an opportunity, therefore, to, to, really, to really craft um, how, how people hear the Bible. And it's a really powerful thing, thing to do. You know, churches and denominations, I'm sure you've seen it, have been, have been split over what's, what's merely been said from the pulpit. But, um, you know, even for those of us who, who don't feel cool to, to, to be teaching, there's, there's a real question here of, of we need to understand what our gifting is and take it really seriously, just as teaching here. For those of us who, who feel like teaching is our, is our calling and it is what we are called to be, we need to understand what is our gifting. And if you don't know what your, what your gifting is, and lots of people don't, I really encourage you to chat with someone here at church and, and, and maybe sit down with a mentor or someone who can really find out what, what, what are you passionate about? What's your gifting? And once you identify that gifting, how can you really grow at it? One of the things that I love about this church is that we've really, um, they're ferocious in developing young leaders and young teachers. They're ferocious, ferocious in it. We um, disciple, we plant churches and um, I love it that, you know, I haven't, I've only been at this church for, for, for a few years now. And this church has been around for hundreds of years. But, you know, I, I haven't heard all the sermons, but I'm, I reckon I could probably predict that some of those sermons that have been spoken by some young leaders, uh, young teachers have probably been, some of them probably been pretty naff. And some of them, some of the ideas that have been said probably needs to be slightly refined. But, you know, what we can do is we all have a responsibility when we hear those words that we, we all have a responsibility that we can either be a critic or a coach. And, you know, a coach is, a coach is someone who sees what's, what's being said at the front and is able to put an arm around, arm around them and, and give feedback and, and, and develop these people on. Or you can be a critic, which, which a lot of us can be if we, if we hear people from churches that we don't go to sometimes. We can just get a grenade and we can just lob it at them and tear people down. What I love about this church is that, you know, it's been ferocious in developing people in their giftings, especially in teaching as people have, has, have grown, they've then gone to get trained and they've then gone and planted churches all across London and around, and around the world, really. Being a teacher is tough. One in 1 Corinthians 2, the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth says, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. You see how being a teacher is tough. No matter if you're on a platform, if you're in a connect group, if you're in your ministry, you know, because what you're saying you're going to be judged harshly yourself, but what you're actually saying is going to be countercultural. You know, Paul was talking um, there a message of Jesus being crucified, died, and raised again. And what, what ultimately happened to him? All the people that were around Jesus, um, his disciples that were sent out, were ultimately killed. They were killed for speaking the, they were speaking the faith, um, for, speaking, for speaking truth. We've got to realize that some of the words that are sometimes said are going to be, they're going to be, they're going to be difficult for the rest of the world to hear because culture changes over time. But, you know, this Bible, we've had this for thousands of years. And so that's where even then when difficult times, when difficult messages are had and, 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 and teachers are, are going through passages which are difficult, that's where we can really encourage, even if those of us who don't feel called to be teachers, we can really encourage those who are teaching us. Let's look at verse, uh, verse 3. 
this middle part, verse 3 down to verse 8. You know, these, this, uh, this is basically a sermon in of itself. Talk, there's a met- metaphor here. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, when we can turn the whole animal, or take ships as an example, although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it make, makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. You know, words matter. Words really, really matter. Do you see that? A great forest fire started by a small spark. Some of the biggest forest fires that, that have been seen, they, they don't even know where the spark began because it was often so small. You know, all of us have been marked in our course of our life by words that have been said to us. You know, there's the phrase, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt me. And that's not true. Whoever came up with that, I have no idea what was going on. But sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt me. That's completely untrue. I know every single person in this room, there might have been something that was said decades ago. Decades ago, maybe at school, maybe on, on a sports pitch, maybe, maybe even from a friend, family member. Something that sticks, and that person may not even remember ever saying it. But that's stuck with you, that's marked you. And I think what we need to do is first need to appreciate, if what, once we first appreciate that words do hurt us, that words do have the power to scar us, to mark us, it's only then, once we've appreciated that, that we can then begin to, to heal from them. Words have powerful consequences. Do we know the, the power that the words can have? You know, this can happen at an individual level in our life. And there's stories, you know, the, the one small lie that you say to cover something that you don't want someone to find out. And then you have to cover a lie to cover a lie to cover a lie. And all of a sudden, there's a great forest fire. You know, we, we go from an individual level even then to a, to a national and international level. And at the start of every war, the start of every conflict, there's been, it's, what, what is it that, that starts it? It's rhetoric. It's words that escalate, that grow, which then lead to, and are triggers for other things that grow. And all of a sudden, there's war and there's conflict that have just been started from words. And so how does God want to move in us in the areas of our tongue? So we know, we realize that our words have power. We realize that we've all said, we've all said words and we've all received words that have marked us. You know, you don't need to come, come back after a day's work and there's just been that, all of a sudden it's just one thing that your boss has said to you. One thing, it might have been you've handed some work in or um, they're giving you maybe some feedback on, on uh, maybe like objectives or your end of year. And it's just like a little comment, and that's just completely marked out. Maybe, the, maybe a week, maybe a month. The words have such power, especially from people who, who, who know you. There's two ways, I think, that, that God uh, wants to move in our tongues and what we say. And I think the first one is in silence, and the second one is in gracious speech and in the way that we talk. You know, there's, there's so many moments when, um, when someone has said something to us, where someone has 
maybe provoked us, antagonized us or baited us. And, you know, you come back with, if you're really witty, then you come back with that, with that quick phrase or that quick cutting remark that, that cuts someone down. And maybe there's other people watching and they're laughing as well. Or if you're like me and you think of that witty remark, but about 10 minutes later, and then you're like, oh, I really wish I had said that witty remark that cut that person down. And you're laughing, so I know you're, you're in the same place as well. Um, but sometimes, you know, pouring paraffin on a bonfire isn't, isn't the best way of putting it out. And I think sometimes maybe God, God for those of us who are, who are quick to speak and are maybe just angry and, you know, God's saying, I just, just want you to be silent. Actually, when someone says something, it might not even be true in what they're saying about you. Actually, people will notice more about you from the silence, just stopping, not going but straight back in, not counterpunching straight away but by stopping, by being silent. We're also called to speak graciously. Ephesians 4.15 calls us to speak the truth in love. And that speaking the truth in love is a sign that we are becoming a more mature Christian. And sometimes that's awkward. You know, if we're at school or at university or in the workplace... And we see something that isn't right. We just know that, that, that that's not right. And maybe everyone's bullying someone or, or ganging up on someone. And sometimes it's the really awkward thing, but we know it's the right thing to speak out and speak the truth in love and say, this isn't right. That what, you're, what you're saying, what you're doing, it isn't right at all. And that can, it can be awkward. It, can make you, it might even be your friends that are the ones that are saying remarks. Or it might be you that's, that's, that's joining in with something. And then you just, you just remember there's that switch and you just think, I need to speak the truth in love. And it can be really, really awkward. You know, Ephesians 4, as I said, Ephesians 4.15, speak the truth in love. God calls us, calls us to stand up for those who are marginalized and most vulnerable, that need our voices. And words matter so much. Words matter so much. Verse 9, let's have a look at the, um, the end of the passage. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father. And with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can the salt spring produce fresh water. You know, the big, the big idea here is that actually your, what you say and the words that you say actually reveals your heart. You know, the, the reason why words are powerful isn't because of the vibrations that are caused in the air from you speaking it, but it's because it's your soul saying to someone else's soul, this is what I think of you. Someone who's made in God's image saying to someone else who's made in God's image, this is my opinion of you. You know, when you were, when you were little and you, and you had to go to the, uh, to the doctor and you might have sat there, and what, if you say you had a cold or a sore throat, what's the one thing that the doctor probably asked you to do it's, Stick your tongue out. And so, okay, you stick your tongue out and the doctor kind of, I don't know if they still do this, this might be 20 years ago kind of medicine, but they, they, they kind of maybe shine a light in your, in your throat, just sticking your tongue out, or they, or they put like, a, you know, a stick. I don't know what that's for. They're like a stick and 
put your tongue down so they can see. But what they're doing is they're, they're saying that the state of your tongue shows the condition of your health or it gives some indication of, of the condition of your health. And you know, what a blessing it is that we have, that God given us this ability to, to speak. And it is a blessing because, you know what, it, it reveals that we're not perfect. And I hate to break it to you, no one in here is perfect. No one in here is, is, is good. We've all said things. We've all, the way we've spoken has caused pain and it's caused heartache to people. And you know, it's a, it's a great blessing because our mouth reveals the state of our heart. And if we all know the pain that we've caused from our mouth, it shows that the nature of our heart is that we have, we have a sinful nature. We need a savior and no one is good and perfect. You know, part of, part of uh, the reason I think that we say these, we say these things and our, our heart has this sinful nature is because of not understanding where our, where our identity is. You know, so, so often these words come from a place of insecurity and a desire to find our identity in the things of this world. You know, if you're in the workplace and you're known as a, yeah, you're known as the best person, I don't know, in sales, or you're the best person presenting, and all of it, and if your identity is found in, yes, I am the best person, who, who, who I've got the best sales figures in this company, you know, it's not going to take long before someone else arrives, beats your sales figures, you know, someone else will come to you and go, oh, look, Sam, you know, have you seen Gary? His sales figures are unbelievable. But you're going to turn around and be like, yeah, his sales figures are great. But have you seen, I'm not sure the way he's doing it is, is quite legit. I'm not, I'm not too sure about the strategy that, that he's, I mean, I'm not sure about Gary. I'm not sure about him. You know, the way, because our identity is found in something that isn't in Jesus, the words that we say and our identity being found in that, the words that we say means that we have to push others down. Because we're not confident in our identity as being a child of God, we have to. We have to make sure that our pride's there. You know, Augustine, um, who was uh, around a long time ago, Augustine of Hippo, um, a long, long time ago, said that pride is the mother that is pregnant with all other sin. And I do think, and how does that pride manifest itself? It's, it's in the way that we talk about others. If someone's challenging us, if someone's challenging our identity, then we're going to talk bad about them. We push them down to keep ourselves up. You know, one of the, uh, one of the things that this, this passage in, in verse 9, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who be made in God's image. You know, one of the one of the things that gets to us, and, and for those of us who are Christians, who, and the reality is we, we know all of this. We know that our words hurt. You know, we know if we have an angry heart and we lash out, and our response is, oh, I know I shouldn't do that. Because we come to church, and here on a Sunday night, we have a great time of worship. We sing praise, and, and we give glory to God, and we, and we pray for one another, and we speak life over one another, and we walk out the door, and we snap or we say something that's untrue, or we, or, we, or we kind of manipulate the truth about someone. And it's that hypocrisy that kind of really gets to us. With the same mouth, we praise God. The same mouth, we're there slagging off other people straight away. And I think that's, that's, what, that's what James is saying here. The tongue is powerful. Words really matter. And your mouth reveals your heart. And what does our heart need? Our, heart, our hearts need Jesus. 
Our hearts need Jesus. We need to find our identity in him. You know, what Jesus, what Jesus is offering isn't behavior modification, but it's life transformation. He's not set, he, he wants us to change the way that we're speaking. But that isn't, that isn't all he's looking for. It's not about putting a few less coins in the swear jar. That isn't going to get you to heaven. I hate to break it to you. But actually, he wants to transform your heart first. If your, heart, if your mouth is just, the, is just the window into your heart, he wants to change your heart. He wants to bring life transformation.